This is The Converse, an apostolic tabernacle podcast all about sharing the truth of God's Word. In this podcast, you will hear sermons, panel discussions, and much more. If you would like more information about this ministry or would like to plan your visit, go to atwilmington.com. For now, enjoy your time on The Converse.
Amen. The Bible says the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones, caused me to pass by them round about. He got a, an aerial view, if you will. He got a 360 perspective. Uh, He said, and behold, there was very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Have you ever been asked a question? And you're like, I sure don't know. That was Ezekiel's way of saying, I have no clue. But you do. I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and, they, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. That's where I want to stop for a minute. You notice when he began in verse 5, he said, Before the bones ever came together, he said, I'm going to put breath in you. Then he says, I'm going to have the bones come together and then I'll put sinew upon them, which is muscles and tendons. Then we're going to give them skin. When God begins a work of redemption, a work of victory, a work of deliverance, it almost always begins from within and it works its way out. So today I want to talk to you from the, by the help of the Holy Ghost on this subject. The breath of life. The breath of life. Why don't we put our Bibles to our side and pray together? Uh, if you're new here, we're, we're thankful that you're here. We're an apostolic Pentecostal church that believes in the power of prayer, still preaches and teaches the apostles' doctrine as set out in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, undiluted. And uh, is that Fisher? It's good to see my band Fisher back there. Called a look at it. Glad you're here, man. But what you have to have is you have to have an open heart. And so we've been singing, we've been dancing, we've been yelling, we've been screaming, we've been shouting. But we do all of that to get to right here so that the word of God can enter our soul and touch us. So let's pray together that the the word of God and the spirit of God will do just that. Can we, Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for your wonderful blessings. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come together today to hear from your word. God, I pray over every heart, every mind, every spirit in this place. God, that we'll give ourselves over to you, that, that your spirit will work upon us and within us. God, I just pray that your will will be done, Lord. I rebuke anything that would try to hinder, bind, or have its way in this service that is not of you. And I pray, God, that you will have your way. And we'll be careful to give you praise and glory for it all. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, before you're seated, why don't you take a big, deep breath in. God bless you as you're seated this morning. I can remember uh, 
being a kid and doing some traveling with my parents, when my dad was still working as a coal miner, my dad would work six days a week. And he was of the, uh, of the mindset, it's changed a little bit, and that's okay, but he was of the mindset, you take one vacation a year, and it better be a good one, because you're not getting another one until next year. I can remember being young, and uh, Dad would get off that one week in summer. We would leave on a Saturday, and we would start our trip wherever we were going. We went to Virginia Beach. We went to different places. We've, we've been all around well, I say we've been all around. Not really. We just went to the same place over and over. It was either there, Pigeon Fords, or Pennsylvania. I only went to Pennsylvania twice. I only went to uh, Virginia Beak once. So the rest of them were in Pigeon Forge. Um, Pigeon Forge was about a two-hour drive. It's not much. You get in the van. You get in the car. You, you drive down the road. Two and a half hours, you're there. Uh, if you leave too early, you're going to get there really early. You can't check into your hotels. Nothing to do. Eat lunch. You still got an hour and a half left to check in. I can remember being a kid, though, and taking that one really long trip across the state of Virginia. Virginia's a big state. I can remember getting in the car and starting out early in the morning. My parents would leave when it's still dark. Little Evan in his Ninja Turtle jammies got carried out. Still sleeping. Put in the car seat. Still sleeping. I remember. Uh, I remember very clearly. We got in the car. We started driving. Up 81, we went. Down 64 we went, got on 95 for a little bit, went through the tunnel out in Chesapeake, came out over there at Virginia Beach, got to hang out, Williamsburg, I'll take that back, we've been to Virginia Beach a couple times because we went to Williamsburg too. And I can remember being a kid and asking, are we there yet? Journey is, is, is a big part for kids, it's a big part for adults too. I'm a dad now, six and a half hours in a car. Two screaming kids, Viv and Gemma. We went up to Virginia for my mother's 60th birthday. And for some reason, six and a half, I was by myself. Mama was at home. Dad was being brave. You know, I'm going to be a band. I'm going to take the kids. Oh, it was awful. I mean, it was terrible. I'll look back with fond memories. You remember that time? I sure do. Remember that time poop went up your back because Dad didn't change you in time? Yeah, that's what that was. So it's a deal for parents and for kids. But I remember that I was so caught up in the trip that I wasn't too worried about the destination. I was so caught up in how long it was taking me to get there that I wasn't even worried about where we were going. I just wanted to be there. When I look at the Word of God, I look at moments in life where, uh, where in people's lives where they look at the journey more than they look at the destination. And destinations can be things of promise where we look forward to those things. Imagine being the children of Israel and, and leaving Egypt, uh, Egyptian bondage. They set out through the wilderness. And the wilderness, Egypt, Egyptian bondage was bad. They were beaten. They were, they were hurt. All these things happened to them. They were slaves. They were a lesser people. Nobody cared about them. They beat them every day, trying to, trying to drive them into the ground. And then they set out on their journey, and I don't think that the wilderness was that much better. Because they murmured and complained. To them, they were more caught up in the journey than they were the destination. Jesus, God told them, he said, I'm going to give you a, a, a land that has houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. 
It's a land that's going to flow with milk and honey. And they get there to this place and they're still so caught up with all the negativity of that journey that they don't even care about where they got to. And we get upset about the journey when the destination's good. But imagine being like Ezekiel. And we get called away in the spirit and the destination is a place of dry bones. You know, spirituality, sometimes we, we, we get caught up in the false doctrine, the false teaching of people that will tell you if you serve God, everything's good. Jesus said that in this world you are going to have tribulation. He didn't say that everything's going to be fine. I'm going to give you milk and honey. I'm going to give you grapes the size of your head. In my situation, that would be a really big grape. <laughs> Me and my wife were talking about I, I'm trying to lose a little weight. and she, I was telling her how skinny I once was. I once weighed 160 pounds. It was like an apple on a stick. You know? I mean like a big old apple too. I'm not talking about the little ones. I'm talking about like a like honey crisp. On a, on a shish kebab. I mean, it was something. I looked like a, like a bobblehead. I was just... That's why I got such a big neck. I had to have a lot of muscles to hold this big head up. What in the world was I talking about? Anyway, in the spirit, we think everything's supposed to be good. But sometimes God will allow us to see places like Ezekiel saw. He'll allow us to see things like Ezekiel saw when he saw the valley of dry bones. I can't imagine that it was very good. I can't imagine that what he saw was a great thing. I can't imagine that what he saw was something that filled him with joy. I would imagine that when he saw it, that terror might have came upon it. You look out over this vast field of things. You look out and you see bones and and foot bones and hand bones and skulls and vertebrae and ribs and all of these things laying out and you can tell they've been sun drenched and sun dried and all of a sudden their color is fading. You know when you leave bones out for a long time they do what they call the bleach. It don't look like it used to look. He could tell the sun had soaked all of the moisture out of the bone, all the moisture out of all of the uh, uh, everything that was there, and all of a sudden there was these bleached, dried bones laying out. And I wonder what he thought when he saw it. We look at our life and we see mistakes, we see problems, we see that person that we shouldn't be hanging out with, we see all the failed relationships, all the failed things that we've tried to do, and all of a sudden it looks like a valley of dry bones. When I look out over my decisions, all I see is a great graveyard of mistakes. I don't see some beautiful building with a beautiful edifice that's built in my honor because I was always a saint. No, I look out and I see all of my problems laying in a grave. The epitaph reads, this gave me a great deal of sorrow. This one gave me a great deal of depression. This one gives me a great deal of anxiety. And all I can see is everything that's wrong. But I love how this scripture is is put into our mind as it's put into the word of God. It's sandwiched in this beautiful part of, of, of Ezekiel's visions and his prophecies. And he sets out in Ezekiel 36, he'll begin to talk about a new covenant when, when God would send his spirit and he would take the heart of stone and he would turn it into a heart of flesh. 
If we're not careful, we'll miss the message because we'll just read four or five scriptures that talk about dry bones, but we forget about what the prophet said before and what he said after. Because Ezekiel 36, he talks about the new covenant. He talks about the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Ezekiel 40, he talks about the temple. Now, I'm not a hyper-literalist when it comes to the translation of the Bible. If you're not careful... You can be, and it'll really mess you up. Because in Hebrew culture, there was a lot of type and shadow and analogies that were used. And if we use our mind and try to make sense of some of the things, you talk to me about a wheel in the middle of the wheel. That don't make a whole lot of sense, does it? It, 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 There's got to be some hidden message there. Well, the same thing happens in Ezekiel 40. Let's have a little Bible study for a minute. In Ezekiel 40, Ezekiel begins to describe a temple. He begins to describe how it's laid out. He describes the measurements. He describes all of these things. And he describes utensils. He describes all of these things. And and some historians will say, well, that's just a second temple. That's going to be rebuilt. I disagree. Talks about how that when you read about it, there are thousands of little rooms in this temple. That never happened at the rebuilding of the temple. I don't see it. But let me tell you what I do see. He talked about all these little rooms, Brother Leon. In John 14 and 2, he said, Oh, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. When it says mansions, the Greek word is rooms. I don't believe Ezekiel 40 was talking about the temple in a physical structure. I believe it was talking about the temple not made with hands. That would be the church, the body of Christ, and all of those little individual rooms are churches scattered across the world and across history. Because if you read it in hyperliteralism, you will miss what he's talking about in Ezekiel 37. He's speaking over dry bones. He's speaking over problems, circumstances, and situations. He's speaking over a people that is hurt, that is broken, and it's sandwiched in between prophetic scripture that talks about a new covenant. I don't think Ezekiel 37 is any different. In younger days, I, I preached a sermon that talked about speaking life. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. I believe that's entirely scripturally correct, that we can do that. But I will also tell you this, that we cannot miss the message of Ezekiel 37 because it's for us today. Because when he spoke, the Bible says that he would would speak God commanded him to speak to the bones and bone would come to his bone and as the skeletons were were put together in their structure, each one returning to its own member, creating a body, he would begin to prophesy and the ground would begin to shake and you could hear the bones beginning to quake with one another and as they would come together and all of the sudden sinew and, and, and tendons would begin to come together that holds our muscle, our joints and our structure together. This is what he's seeing and then all of a sudden musculature would begin to form on the legs and on the on the chest and on, on the chest cavity and on, on the neck and on the head and then all of a sudden you would see skin come up on the body and all of the organs would be in their right place everything would be just right but they were laying on the ground 
lifeless. If that's not a picture for us today, it can look like we are perfectly put together. It can look like everything is just fine. It can look like my life is all together. And I think about that man, Cornelius, that gave alms before God, that was a good man, that was a God-fearing man. But even in his state of altruism and philanthropy, in that state, there was still something missing. You can walk the walk. You can talk the talk. You can drive the car. You can wear a suit and a beautiful dress. Uh, If you're a lady, That's the dress. If if you're a man, I'm just clarification. We just never know today, okay? And, and, And you can dress it up and you can come into church, but there's still something inside of you that's laying there lifeless. I don't know a person in history that has not needed the gift of the Holy Ghost since the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you today, if you feel like something is missing, the thing that is missing is the Holy Ghost. Oh, it's the power of God. I'm telling you right now, it's the same Spirit. There was something missing. Look at your neighbor and say, there's something missing. That's why when you go to other churches, you don't feel anything. I'm not in a comparison game because there's no comparison. Once you taste the apostolic doctrine and the truth of the Pentecostal experience, uh, there's no other way. Me and my wife were talking about spiritual warfare last night real briefly over hibachi. I made it. It was really good. And, uh, and we were talking, and, and we were talking about going to Santiago, Bishop, talking about the Santeria that's in that area. Let me tell you right now, there are people all across this world that's, that's, that's caught up in idolatry and, and witchcraft and, and voodoo and all of these things they're caught up in because there's something missing that they need and they go in their ignorance. And I'm not talking about them being stupid people. I'm talking about them lacking knowledge of what they really need. We'll talk to the witch doctor. We'll talk to the saints that are really demonic spirits. We'll do all of these things reaching out for something. But let me tell you the one it's like Mars Hill in the book of Acts when Paul walked up he said to the one let me tell you who the unknown God is I know you know all of these saints I know you know all of these historical figures but let me tell you about Jesus It's not witchcraft. It's not idolatry. It's worship of the one true living God. It's looking back to the Old Testament monotheistic belief and its fulfillment in the New Testament church. Let me tell you what can help you. Let me tell you what can bring life. It's not false doctrine. It's not crazy religion. It's not Eastern belief, Buddha, Allah, or anybody else. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I've spoken in ignorance at times past looking at Holy Scripture and missing the Holy Ghost in the beginning. There was a type and shadow all the way back in Genesis 2. Verse number 7 and verse number 8. 
We can't miss the part of the prophecy where God says, Ezekiel, speak to the four winds and command them to blow. You know, the four winds, there's a lot of theories that are out there about what the four winds mean. For my research, I've tried to find the correlations, the understandings. North seems to be judgment. It's a strong wind that would come down for the north from the north and bring heavy rain and destruction. The south wind, though, is an interesting one because it blows gently. I thought about the book of Acts when Paul's setting out on his missionary journey. It's a warm southerly wind that blew softly that let him know I should leave on my journey. But what he found there was actually a, a tempestuous storm. I believe it's deception and false doctrine. Stuff you can get caught up in. Then there's the east and the west winds. When we look at those, we'll find that when the east wind blew, especially in the book of Exodus, that, that the east wind would bring the locusts and the locusts would devour everything. But then the west wind would blow and it would be the deliverance of God and it would move the locusts out again. Whatever your belief I can say this one thing, that Ezekiel was speaking in dominion over all four. He spoke to the four winds and commanded them blow and the wind began to blow and all of a sudden the Bible says that the Spirit was breathed into them. The Bible says they stood up. They laid on the ground lifeless. Even though they looked like everything was together. They looked like they had it all right. They looked like everything was tidied up and perfect. But then when the Spirit of God came, the Bible says they stood up a great army. You reach back to Genesis chapter number 2, verse 7. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to visit us at atwilmington.com. We will see you next time on The the Converse. He reached down and the Bible says he formed him from the dust of the earth. Just as the dry bones that were put together that laid their lifeless, so too Adam laid their lifeless in the garden. But all of a sudden the Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils and he stood. It was the infilling of the Holy Ghost seen in the book of Genesis. Repeated in Ezekiel. John chapter 20 and verse number 22. The Bible says that Jesus... God manifest in the flesh, breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, or verse number, verses 1 through 4. The Bible said they were in the upper room, Terry, waiting on the promise of the Father, Luke 24 and 49. They were all there waiting in one mind and one accord. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Oh, and they there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire and it set upon each of them and watch this and they were all 
filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit give the utterance. Let me tell you right now, it's been talked about since the beginning of time when Moses would pen the words of Genesis. He was reaching all the way to the day of Pentecost and telling us that it is God's will that the breath of life and the Spirit of God be breathed into you. And I'm here to tell you it's still God's will for it to happen to you today. The breath of life is not fictitious. The breath of life is not something that is made up. It's not something that we toss away. The four winds. I love what Paul said. He had an understanding. Don't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Because when the wind blows, it doesn't mean that it's from God. It may move you. It may get your emotions all all moved up and have you tingling and squealing and moving all kinds of ways. But let me tell you, it does not mean that it is God-breathed. You better look at the Word of God and make sure that what that man or that woman is saying is strictly from His Word. Second Timothy 3 and 16. The Word. Put that up. Can you put that up there, Brother Dave? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration. I wish I could explain to you what it, the, the, the etymology of the word. Theo, God, coming from. That's where we get our word theology. But then that last part of Theo, it's that, that word inspiration. And it, it gives us the word that means breathed. I believe it's like theonume, theonuma. That when God gave us scripture. Now think about this. He breathed in the nostrils of Adam and Adam got up. He breathed into the army, uh, into the dead, the dry bones that had their flesh now and they got up. He breathed upon the disciples and the disciples received the gift of the Holy Ghost. On the day of Pentecost, God breathed again and all of a sudden all of them received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But then we see in 2 Timothy 3 and 16 that when God breathed upon men and women throughout history, the divine unction of the Holy Ghost came upon them and they began to write, God breathed words. I don't know about you. Jose found out this morning I like it cold in my office. I do, man. I got my little personal AC unit, you know. That way I can just have it chilly in my office. They can do whatever it wants in the rest of the building, but my office can be what I want it to be. You know, we want to save electricity. 66. It is like a, like a meat cooler. Like if you killed a pig, you could hang it in there. It'd be fine for at least a couple weeks. Jose walked in and he walked in with a suit on. He walked out with an Eskimo suit on. Like, that's how quick it was. It was like a George Jetson. He walked in and he walked out with a big, big Sherpa jacket on. It was crazy. I love the cool air blowing through my hair. You know? Some of y'all don't have that problem. It's like a, 
It's like a, it's, it's like, like a, like a, like a, like a windswept desert up there. It's just, you know, my, 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 my lovely locks flow in the wind. Thanks to Jarvis. And, uh, I love a good breeze. I love it when it's nice and cool. If I, one day when the girls get older, I'm looking forward to my kids graduating, you know, cause then I can have either a motorcycle or a convertible convertible and that way I can just drive down the road, you know. My hair just in the wind. Fabio just. I love a good breeze. They got what these call what they call neck fans now. Y'all seen neck fans? I got one. Incredible. You know, it's like they say don't be unevenly yoked. That is not unevenly yoked whatsoever. I put that yoke around my neck, I pull those fans right up in my face, highest setting. My hair the other night was moving. Oh, it's good. You can hear that little, those little things moving. You know, rechargeable. It's great. We get so used to stale, stagnant environments that we forget what the cool breeze of the Holy Ghost feels like. And then there'll be times where we'll mistake a good shout for a breeze of the Holy Ghost. No, no, no. There's a difference. You got a dopamine hit because you you shouted so much. You're you're, you, you know, you started bleeding on your, on your knees because you were just, you know, just up here dancing and falling down all over the place. I don't know. We get that dopamine hit from all that emotional high that we're feeling. And it's not the same thing as a cool breeze of the Holy Ghost. Because when the wind of God begins to blow, you can feel something begin to change in the atmosphere. It's kind of like when God begins to move upon someone that's about to give tongues and interpretation. There will be what I call this holy hush that will come across the room. And you can feel it. So let me tell you what that does. You can know when it's not of God, but you can also know when it's of God. Because those chills you feel are different. It's because the wind of God is getting ready to blow in somewhere. And did you know there's a lot of churches with padded pews, beautiful lights, and fans blowing just like they're blowing here today that don't feel the moving of God's Spirit? That we have got to be a church that opens up the ceiling and the windows of heaven be open so that the wind of God can sweep through this house. I don't want to be somebody that's stuck in a stagnant place that can't feel anything. I don't want the dry heat of the world to soak up all of my life. No, no. I want the wind of God to blow. I'm quickly coming to a close. The breath of life is such an interesting analogy. Bishop's got him scared. He said, Ethan's like, you got three closings too? I usually only have two, bro. And so, think about the wind of God blowing in our life. I love what we did with small groups. Did anybody have a good time in small groups on Wednesday night? Wasn't it good? Because the Bible tells us to be apt to teach. That, that we should be apt to instruct, to give people knowledge and understanding of God's word because there's a lot of illiterate people out there. But it can never replace the moving of God's spirit. Some people in this place, it's been so long since you felt it. It's been so long since the wind of Pentecost that God breathed has blown upon you. Others come in this place today facing problems. Your husband's not doing right. Your wife's not doing right. Your kids aren't doing right. All of these things that are happening. And you just need the refreshing wind of the Holy Ghost to come sweeping in. 
and give you a little peace, give you a little joy, give you, give you something that can get you through tomorrow and throughout the rest of this week. I'm here to tell you today that whatever you have need of, you can find it in the wonderful presence of God. But we can't be a people that are so used to coming in, getting a little encouragement, and leave them that, 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 we, that we just miss the move of God's Spirit. Now listen, I don't, I don't like Marathon Church. My back starts hurting. You know, people go to church for four and five hours. I don't know how they do it. I really don't. God bless you. I bet some of them don't know how they do it either. They say, preach on, and then two hours later, boy, I wish I wouldn't have said that. None of y'all say that here. Everybody here is like, hurry up. I got my stew on, better hurry. Pot roast going to burn, you better hurry. It's going to get busy at the Mexican restaurant, you better hurry. Well, if you just wait with me for a little while, we can go after the rush is over. Some of y'all saying amen, y'all going to get crucified in a minute. You're going to feel a Bible hit the back of your head. Somebody going, shut up. Don't encourage him. We, we become so accustomed to this world of get whatever you want whenever you want it. Oh, I just want to move with God's spirit. Musicians can come. I can remember being a kid. You know, we always look back in history with fond memories. I grew up a preacher's kid. I wasn't a pastor's kid. I was a preacher's kid. My dad was the assistant pastor. Um, you know, fond memories usually jade over the history. <laughs> I remember well. There was a lot of hell going on in the midst of God's spirit moving. When some people look back and say, oh, I miss those days. They forget about the sister that about, that about made the church split. They forget about the brother that cheated on his wife and ran off. They forget about the... <laughs> For me, I remember, you know, I grew up in a family that, uh, if you're watching, I love you, and it worked out good, so it's fine. I grew up in a family that we didn't get off easy on anything. I remember I, I've been set down off the platform three times in my life. Two-thirds of those times, I didn't do anything. That one, that was pretty justifiable. But those other two... I remember my uncle looking at me. He was a pastor. He said, Evan, I believe you. But I'm sorry, I've got to set you down. Why? It just won't look good. There's no justice in that. That's what I thought. I mean, there's not any justice in it. It's stupid. Other people just needed to grow up and get over it. They had so much devil in them that they couldn't do it. But anyway. We look back on all those things. We forget about all the bad stuff that happened. But then we get to today. When we look at the past, all we can see is the good. But in the present, all we see is the bad. We see sister so-and-so about to split the church, and we don't think about the moving of God's spirit. We see brother so-and-so running off just like the other brother did, and then we're like, oh, that's so terrible. And we don't think about how that our church the average attendance on our Sunday morning has grown by a third since December of last year. From 180 to right around 260 every Sunday morning. We, we think about all of those things that are bad and we forget about what God is doing. 
And we, even further out of our mind, is not just what He's doing, but what He wants to do. Imagine if Ezekiel looked out over the dry bones and when God said, can these bones live? He say, sure don't look like it. I've been out in the woods before and you know, if, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in hunting, especially deer, if you don't get the right shot, you're in trouble. Because if it don't go 30 yards and lay down and you don't let it die, if it gets up and runs off, you'll prob- you, it's, it's kind of likely you'll never find it, especially in the mountains of Virginia. I've been in moments where I'll walk through the woods going to my hunting stand and, and I'll walk on a deer that his flesh has been eaten off of it. Coyotes have gotten a hold of it. And there's very little left. If God asked me, Evan, can that deer live? I would be like, there's no way. Because we get so caught up in our problems that we can't even see what God wants to do. God doesn't want to leave you where you're at. God doesn't want you to continue feeling what you're feeling. He doesn't want you to continue dealing with what you're dealing with. He doesn't want the problems like the great storms of history to overcome you and you go down with the ship. He doesn't want you to die in your dilemma or your circumstance. He wants to breathe His Spirit into your life. He wants to give you something to hold on to. When God breathes, He doesn't just breathe some mystical thing. The Bible says in John 14, He breathes a comforter. Oh, the comforter. Which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Talk about Jesus' name baptism again. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And like Adam in Genesis 2, like the bones in Ezekiel 37, like the disciples in John 20, like the disciples in Acts 2, Acts 10, keep on going. God wants to breathe His Spirit into this place. He wants to give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He wants to give you peace that passes all understanding. He wants to give you hope for tomorrow. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. To give you an expected end. God doesn't want you just to wither and die. God doesn't want you just to fade away. I mean, I could go into all kinds of things that, that, that the Spirit of God leads to cross-pollinization and continued growth, in, in especially if you look at it in natural senses. When, when the wind blows, pollen will be carried miles away and it'll help cross-pollinate so that entire forests can grow. That when the Spirit of God moves, that, that there's some force that begins to move upon people. You know what I love about our church? Our, our church is not a personality-driven church. Because when I'm not here, you still show up. When the bishop's not here now, I gotta be honest, there's sometimes 
I told Bishop back in the day, I said, Bishop, please don't tell people you're leaving. He'd be like, why? What's going on, big buddy? I said, every time you tell them, ain't nobody shows up. Like Winston out of attendance go from 150 to 25. Bishop's out of town. I'm glad that we're a purpose-driven church that believes in the power of the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you, our purpose when we come into this house, Brother Ramsey, is not to show up and show off my pretty tie that you like so much. It's not to come and, and just give in the offering and feel good about what you've done. It's not to come in and watch the rain beating against the windows like I'm doing right now and feel like, oh, it's happening on the outside like what I feel on the inside. It's not God's will that you come and that you leave with no peace, no joy. It's not God's will that you come and you leave with no comfort. It's not God's will that you come. Preachers always say, don't come. It's not God's will that you come and leave unchanged. It's so stinking cliche to say that now. But it's not God's will. Sometimes it ain't that we need to change. Sometimes it's just that our perspective needs to shift. That when I woke up, to the altar that the Holy Ghost will move in such a way that when I was down and out like Peter walking on the water in the midst of the storm and the Bible says that Peter beginning to sink called out to God I don't know if you've ever jumped in water before but I'm a big boy there's no beginning to sink here there's either above water and sunk Right, Brother Leon? <laughs> Cannonball. One minute they're there, one second they're there, the next they're not. Beginning to sink shows us that God will allow us to slowly go down. But before our head is underwater and we've taken all we can take, there is a hand. I will not leave you comfortable. When you're in your worst moment, when you're feeling the worst you've ever felt, when your anxiety's at an all-time high, when your depression's got you at an all-time low, when your problems are mounting up as high as the heavens that you can't even see the sun any longer, let me tell you that there is something that God wants to give you. There is something that God wants to extend to you. It is the hand of God. It is the breath of His Spirit. Deacon Pitts, our churches weren't built just on preaching. They were, they were built on the breathing of God and His Spirit upon the people. Our churches just aren't built in attendance. It's that when I come, I can leave changed. I can leave forgiven. I can leave healed. I can leave whole. As we all stand to our feet, God is a holistic God. He's not just concerned about your body, although He is. He's not just concerned about your mind, although He is. He's concerned about every part of you. Can we lift our hands all across this place?
God, in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Just talk to the Lord just for a minute. God, let your wind of your spirit sweep through this house. Oh, let the power of Pentecost fall in this place. Oh, let the gift of healing come as you breathe upon us. Oh, in the name of Jesus, let your spirit move, God. You know, I love Elijah was running from Jezebel. Josh, he was scared to death. He went up there and God showed out on the, on the mountain and the fire fell. It consumed the water. I mean, it, the Bible says it licked it up. It took everything. The water, the wood, the sacrifice. They killed all the, all the, uh, the priests of, of, her, of Jezebel. After that showing, he heard Jezebel say, I'm going to kill that dude. And he, he believed enough that God would Brother Smithy, that God would lick up the water, but when it came to his own personal protection, he needed Brother Smithy, like I do. I walk in the church at the same time every Sunday because, like a Swiss watch, Brother Smithy's walking in, and I'm walking in right with him. i got to be honest, Brother Jose, I love you, but if it's a whole gang of people, we're going to need backup. So Elijah goes to the goes to this cave and he's there and God wants to talk to him. A whirlwind comes like it did with Job but God wasn't there. The earth shook. God wasn't in it. Fire came through the forest, the same fire that licked up the wood on the mountain that he just proved that, that the God of Israel was the one true God. But God was not in it this time. But when God breathed, just a whisper, oh, just a whisper, I don't need the fire all the time. I don't need the earth shaking beneath my feet to get me riled up. I don't need the wind to blow and knock over the trees and us be hanging from the chandeliers. Brother Mark, what I need is the whisper of God. It doesn't have to be a great move that has you laid out and drunk in the Holy Ghost. Oh, but just a whisper. He walks up and he walks up and down the aisle. His hands are raised and, and he walks up and he says, Josh, I'm here. He walks down the next aisle and he walks up and he stands beside the always cool, the always fly, but never flashy, jumping Joe. And he leans over and he whispers in his ear, Brother Joe, I'm here. He steps out and he whispers in Mama Williams' ear. Brother Hanline, and he walks back and he sees George in the back. And he goes, George, I'm still here. 
Because when we come into a place and we're seeking God, there's this old saying, he's as close as the whisper of his name. I don't believe that anybody that's ever lifted their hand and called out to God with a sincere heart has left disappointment.